And I just wanted to tell you one, one story uh, as we're heading into this message, because um, I've been to too many hospitals this week, actually, so I started to recall hospital stories, and I know we have nurses that go to this church, and they probably have better stories. But I only ended up in the ER one time, uh, and I had a weird thing with my neck several years ago where you ever woken up with a kink in your neck and then this one was just like it was not budging and I overstretched it and then I kind of came to on my couch and I was like something's not right then my neck was spazzing out and I went to a doctor's office and I may have passed out in the uh waiting room there, and it was just a very weird situation going on with my neck. So I end up in, in the ER as they're checking it out, and um, so I let my brother and sister know, and they're like, came from work, rushed over, supportive family that I have. And um, so I'm lying there, and I don't really want to move because it was one of those things where if you moved at all, then your neck would spaz, and it was awful. So I'm trying to be very still in this bed in the ER. And um, my siblings were so helpful during this time. So uh, my brother has just a glass of water, and he's like, well, I wonder where we could pour this, where they would ask more questions and things. And I'm all nervous. Um, so he's hovering with water over various sections of my body, trying to cause me some stress, which was successful. Um, the other thing that we started, well, and if there's doctors watching or medical people here, um, they put that heart rate thing on your finger. And we discovered that it can be uh, used as a makeshift lie detector. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it was on my finger, and they're going, oh, do you like this girl? What about this girl? And historical questions and all of this uh, started to come into play. Next thing you know, it's on other people's fingers, and we're just doing lie detector when I'm supposed to be recovering. So long and short of it, it was a lovely time spent in the ER. Um, my neck turns out to be just fine and fully recovered, but yeah, a little too much time in the hospital. But I tell you this story uh, literally for no reason at all, and just to lead us into our August series uh, that's called No Easy Answers. And we're going to be focusing on the book of Job for the month of August. <laughs> that was exactly the response I was expecting. People, yeah, it's the summer, and a series on Job seems perfectly timed <laughs> for the bright, sunny days of summer. So listen, when you hear the book of Job, what are some of the things, just for yourself, recall what comes to mind initially when you hear about the book of Job? Have you read it? 
Does it trigger a certain emotion for you? Does it stir up questions? I remember as a kid, uh, old people would say things like, oh man, that guy's got the patience of Job. And I was like, I guess Job was a pretty patient guy when I was a kid. But what recall it, actually think, and it's an interesting book because uh, people tend to have some struggles and some difficulties with it. But recall it just for yourself. What do you know about it? So whether you've read it or not, I want to take you through a little quick overview of this book and do a little summary on it, just just to kind of set us up for this series. Um, Whenever you're reading the Bible, um, the best thing you can do is always look at it and go, okay, what's the context? What's the history around what I'm reading? Uh, Have you ever read an Old Testament like minor prophet and just gone, I don't know. There's like creatures with four heads and 11 eyes and horns on each eye. And you're like, I don't even know how you'd have a horn on an eye. If you don't have a study Bible, I'd encourage you to get one because that will help you out so much in setting up the context and having an understanding. And, And with a book like Job, Um, it'll help us a lot as we approach it. So very quickly, a few things that you need to know about Job, and then we'll get into week one here. This is uh, one of four of the wisdom books that you read through in the Bible. So other wisdom books, the most famous one may be Proverbs. Proverbs, a little bit different than the other three. Proverbs focuses on very short catchy little sayings that are memorable. And when you read Proverbs, it's rare that you go, well, I don't really get that. Usually when you read Proverbs, you can think of who you know that that verse is talking about, either for the good or the bad, right? You read somebody, read about somebody who talks too much, and you're like, yeah, that person. So Proverbs is very easy to relate to. The other three wisdom books are Job, which we'll be getting into, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. Now, these ones are a little bit different because they're long-form monologues or dialogues dealing with some of these bigger questions about life. So in Job, what we actually are going to find is that it's this very honest dialogue between Job and some of his friends dealing with Job's suffering. Along with these four wisdom books, you also find some uh, specific psalms that would be considered wisdom writing. And we go through that because understanding what you're reading will shift how you approach it, right? If you're reading poetry literally, we know that God isn't literally a castle. He's a fortress, but if we read one type of biblical writing from the wrong perspective, we're going to misinterpret it or be prone to misinterpret it. Uh, 
This wisdom writing would be something that would have been known to people of the Near East. It would have been familiar to them, but when we read it, it's not something that we're as familiar with. So that's why having an understanding of the history, the context, brings more light to what we're reading. Um, Contrary to many people's beliefs, you weren't the first person that the Bible was written for. So the more that you can understand how the original audience would have related and read and heard the words of Scripture, the more easily you'll be able to gain the understanding from it. The author of the book of Job is not specifically mentioned. Some people wonder if it's Job himself or some other scholars suggest Moses might have compiled the story or Solomon or a character from Job that we read about called uh, Elihu. It's written from a third-person perspective, so you get pictures of things happening in heaven, but then things happening in earth as well. The book's 42 chapters long. We're not going to get through every minutia of every verse in four weeks But I would encourage you through the month of August to read through this book. Now, we have a tendency, maybe you do as well, I know I do, to read through Scripture and go, well, I don't get that. What does that mean? So you're going to find that with Job. It can be a bit of a complicated thing because you have different people debating openly on a topic. So just go, okay, I don't need to know everything about everything on my first read. Just read through it quickly. Read through it like you'd read through a novel. Don't put all the pressure on yourself. I have to get every piece of wisdom out of it right now. Just calm down. But read through it and just go, okay, God, what's happening here? Ask him to show you those bigger brush strokes throughout the book. Take some of that pressure off. Uh, A quick summary on the book of Job and the structure. So the book of Job is one of the most challenging because it's surrounded with debate and questions. It can be broken down into five main sections. We start with Job being tested is what the titles say by God. He loses his family, his wealth, and his health and is reduced to virtually nothing. Then we go to this lengthy section where Job debates with all of his friends about the nature of suffering and questions about God and God's role in it. This is followed by a section where a young man who's observed the debate comes to Job and says, here are my thoughts on what's happening. 38 chapters into the book, God finally responds to Job. And at the very end of the book, we find that Job is wholly restored and restored to more, in fact, than he had at the beginning. So sorry if I spoiled the ending for you there. But as I said, we won't be able to cover everything 
But I think there's something for us in this book. Almost everybody that I've seemingly talked to this summer is going, oh, I'm going through this, or this is happening. And there's a certain amount of tension that people live in. And I think there's going to be some value for us as we explore Job. So today, we're just doing one chapter. Chapter 1. So let's hop in. We're going to read it. I'm going to read it pretty fast, but stick with me. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. And I wish I had somebody who could do a good Satan voice to do an overdub here. None of you would be able to do a good Satan voice, though. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do or don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, then shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So Job had one of the worst days in all of history. So when many people approach this book of Job, they want to jump immediately to tackling all of these big theological issues. We just read through it. I'm sure you could come up with a few just from chapter 1. And there could be this uh, odd expectation that we put on the book of Job that it has all of the answers about how pain and suffering are supposed to work and how God relates to it and how the devil relates to it. But I think when we jump too quickly to those big questions, we can put expectations on this book that um, can maybe cloud how we see it. Or we can project what we want it to talk about, and in doing so, we lose some of the wisdom that's in the book. So for this month, what I want to do is, is actually just let the book speak for itself. So instead of coming with everything we think it should say, let's just slow down. What's the wisdom that we can gain from this book of Job? So today I just want to start by looking at Job himself, just from chapter one. And obviously the book's called Job, so odds are good we're going to revisit him in the next three weeks. But I think we'd, we'd almost be at a miss to not understand who this guy was a little bit more clearly before we jump to bigger things. So, I'm going to give you a few things that we find just from chapter 1. Job was a man of complete integrity. Verse 1 says he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. Now think about this. We can read it, but really think about this. Complete integrity. There wasn't one area of his life that isn't included in 
complete integrity in his relationships, in his family, in his finance, in his business, every area, complete integrity. He was blameless. Nobody could find fault in him or with him. So this is the first thing we learn about Job. So usually when you meet someone, there's all those questions of like, hey, what's your name? That's important. And then people just go, so what do you do? And then it's the easiest way to go, oh, this person does this. Oh, I'm probably not going to get along. Or that sounds like a pretty boring job. But the first thing we learn about Job is about his integrity. It's the most, one of the most important qualities because this is what we read first. The Bible wants to let us know that this is really important. And just to give you a, a little extra picture of the company that Job's in, Ezekiel, the prophet, talks about him in chapter 14, verse 14. And he says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves. So Ezekiel puts Job in the same category as Noah, who built the ark with all the animals, Sunday school classic. Job's in the same company. And also Daniel, who went into a lion's den, and God protected him. This is who Job, Job is. He isn't just some guy that suffered. He was a man of God on the same page as these other men of God that we read about. So, so just on this first thing we observe, a few questions. When you look at Job as a man of complete integrity, how does your life stack up to Job? When people look at you or speak of you, do they say, this is a person who lives with integrity? Would people trust you if they passed you their wallet or their house keys or their car keys? Job was a man of complete integrity. There's a great leadership thinker who says, if you don't have integrity in every area of your life, you don't have integrity. And do you try to live a blameless life? How are your relationships with people? Is there friction? Is there a relationship that's unhealthy? Is there anything you need to change about how you've been living to be more like Job, a man of complete integrity? That's just verse 1. We'll continue. Job was also a wise man. Verse 1, the second half, it says, He feared God and stayed away from evil. So why do we say he's a wise man? Just from that 
Proverbs 9, 10, and a few other uh, verses throughout Scripture tell us that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And in Proverbs 9, 10, it continues, knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So Job's referred to as someone who feared God, which means he was somebody that was on the path to wisdom. He was somebody who was regarded as wise. So we're going to get into this in uh, coming weeks, but what does it mean to fear God? Is it like panic that God's going to smite you or shoot lightning from heaven and turn you to soot? Is it a fear of punishment? Is it a fear of God's holy retribution poured out upon you? Very simply put and and fairly succinctly today, this fear of God is a reverence for God. A reverence for God. And, And really it's rooted in understanding who we are and then having an understanding of who God is and relating to him accordingly. So uh, maybe a, a helpful way to think about this is um, if you end up in a room with somebody of great status or great accomplishment. So if you're into business and uh, Mark Cuban or somebody like this invites you for dinner. I like music. So for me, this is like Paul McCartney's like, hey, do you want to come to my house? For the young folks, Paul McCartney was part of the Beatles. Track your history. Uh, A few years back, he was on a Kanye West single. And there was people on the internet going, man, I don't know who this Paul McCartney guy is, but he got a huge break by being on a Kanye single. Um, Yeah. And he did. It was huge. It's such an unfortunate space to be in when he's been so unsuccessful. But if you're in a room with those kind of people or pick an area of interest to you, you're going to have a sense of like, okay, there's a measure of greatness, a measure of success, and a measure of accomplishment, and how you're going to relate to them I would hope would be different. Like if you're going into a dinner with uh, Mark Cuban or some business leader, and you're going, listen, Mark, I've read your book, but chapter two, I just don't know. Could I offer you a bit of advice? Would that be okay? Like if you're at dinner with Paul McCartney, and you go, um, let it be. Can we do a, the chorus seems a bit weak. And long and winding road, really, is that the best you can do? You'd be, you'd be foolish, foolish to go into that kind of environment and tout your own wisdom and your own accomplishment 
when you're in the presence of greatness. And it's an incomplete and a poor picture, but it gives you a little bit of an idea of this reverence for God, where for me, when I start thinking about it that way, I just go, I should really not talk basically at all. And I should listen and be so careful in how I relate to him. Um, there's a guy named Nathan Finocchio, and he, he, he made the statement that we have to worship God how he wants to be worshipped, not how we'd like to worship him. He sets the rules. He's God, and it's not us that gets to decide things. That's how Job knew God. He understood and related to him rightly. Next thing, he was a great man. Verse 3 tells us that Job was the richest person in that entire area. But if you go to other translations, it says he was the greatest man in the area. Or he was a man of great influence. So this can be an odd one, right? You're in church, and then, oh, is he going to say we should all be rich? Man, I hope you were all just loaded. That would be awesome. But I I touch on this because um, God's desire for you is that you would be a great person and a person of great influence. That's flat out his desire. Uh, When he thinks about you, he doesn't want you living in this eternal, downtrodden, beaten up struggle every single day where you have no resource left to help anyone else. And I think part of why he doesn't love that is how selfish we can make it and how it becomes all about us. So uh, we jump ahead just for this one little chunk about Job's reflection on his life before tragedy struck. Chapter 29. This is a picture of what greatness looks like. Job's words. All who heard me praised me. All who saw me spoke well of me. For I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope, and they blessed me. And I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe, and I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. So Job wasn't just a celebrity. His influence wasn't like, I'm an Instagram influencer. Uh, If you tried this lotion, you can find it at the link in my bio. (laughs) But this is what it means to be great in God's view. I love the one line. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. 
It's like it's the first time I ever read it when I just read this, and I was like, wow, what a picture. This is what Job was known for, and this is what God wants you to be known for. So listen, if you're feeling stuck right now in your current situation, change something. Even something little, do something. If you feel like you're lost, your purpose somewhere along the way, start helping someone else find some purpose. If you feel like you're at the bottom and no one's life is worse than yours, start serving some other people. Wherever you find yourself today, decide that you're going to be great and that you're going to maximize the impact of your life on the people around you. Now, there's like a funny thing that in church, when I was growing up especially, and it's good, but it can also be kind of bad, where we heard this thing of like, God's got a huge purpose for your life. You're going to change the world. And then you find as you grow up that Well, I thought I'd be traveling the world, speaking in stadiums by now, or have some giant ministry to feed orphans, or, and then I'm working this job, and what, what happened? So you can live with a measure of like disappointment, because somehow this doesn't seem like this huge dream that I thought it was going to be. But when we look at Job, this picture of what he did, it was one-to-one. It was in his sphere of influence. So in your own world, how do you maximize your impact? Don't sell short your current situation and say, if I was there, I could do this. If you're not willing to do what you can with what you have right now. So in your workplace... Shift your attitude. If you hate your job, shift your attitude and go, this is my ministry. This is my church. These are my people, and I'm going to serve and grow right here and maximize my impact. That's what it means to be great. Next thing, he was a priest in his home. Verse 5, children would have these huge parties It would last sometimes for three days, several days. Wow. And after that, it says, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Uh, Parents, who's a parent? Did you catch what he's doing here? He's being the priest of his own home. Uh, He didn't delegate the spiritual responsibility for his home to someone else. He didn't leave discipling his kids to someone else. He took an active role in his responsibility to his home. He was thinking ahead He wasn't being reactive. He was going, 
if they had done this, I've already got them covered. This guy was an awesome parent, an awesome parent to his kids. Parents will always set the spiritual tone for their home. If you want your kids to love God and love the house of God, what are you modeling? There's no one that will impact the life of your child more than you. No one else. Parents are the biggest factor in the development of a kid. So please shape your kid's life in the way that you want them to grow up and who you want them to be and model it every day. Um, Some of the hardest times in my mom's here and my brother as well, but some of the hardest times in my house growing up was when my dad would go, well, my dad and my mom, they would go, we're going to have a family prayer time. And us kids would be like, oh, but this show's on right now, or I was just going to leave. Or, um, and it was the worst fight always to just somehow get the family in one room to pray together. And we weren't even wretched kids. We were amazing. <laughs> we turned out awesome. But I'm so thankful that my parents pushed through and led me to be godly, that they modeled it. It wasn't easier. They could have just gone, fine, forget it, do whatever you want. But they pushed through, and it was hard, wasn't it? Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. It's worth fighting for your kids. It's worth fighting to set the tone for your home. And parents play the biggest role. A couple things left. Job was a man God took notice of. Verse 8, the Lord asked Satan, you noticed my servant Job. He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Isn't that kind of a cool thing here? Where God's like, hey, devil. (laughs) I don't know if uh, in your wanderings you came across my boy Job. But you can almost hear this like glow in those words, in how God talks about him. He's blameless. He's proud of him. Celebrating this guy. It's reminiscent of, I don't know if you've read this part where God speaks over Jesus at Jesus' baptism and says, um, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You pick up this similar kind of proudness that God has for his kids. Now, really quickly, you might feel like when God looks at you, he goes, oh, man. (laughs) And you might not feel like you're in this boat with Job and Jesus And then there's Eric. You might feel like you're less than. You might feel like all you see is all of your shortcomings and 
well, Job's a man of complete integrity. I don't have any integrity, let alone complete integrity. But we have to look at ourselves, not through our own lens, but once we come to Jesus, God sees us through the lens of Jesus. Amen. So Romans 8.1, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. So if you come to God and you just feel like, well, God, I do have a few prayer requests, but there's no way that you'd listen to me ever because of well, then you believe just a flat-out lie because there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that means that how God sees you, he, he thinks about you the same way that he, he says, to, says about Jesus. This is my, my beloved kid. I'm well-pleased. I love you. I celebrate you. I'm proud of you. He's not an angry God looking to destroy you. He's actually a loving father that goes, yeah, come on, let's talk. You can actually draw close. So please don't think any less of yourself than God does. Don't think less of yourself than God thinks of you. Last thing, and Dave, do you want to come to the keys? And yeah, maybe you guys can all come. Does that sound good, worship team? We'll just have a big party up here. The last thing is that Job was a real man. So listen to this. He's just gone through this tragic moment. He loses everything he has. All of his kids are dead. And we come to this, verse 20. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. So we can have an idea about biblical people, that they're somehow on a different level and that they aren't real, but Job's reaction here tears his robe, shaves his head. This is a, an external picture of what was happening on the inside of Job. He's heartbroken, devastated. He's lost everything. And his reaction to this loss is the same way that any of us would feel in that spot. Imagine everything is just gone. Family, gone. Kids are gone. tears his robe in grief. And all throughout Scripture, we see other men and women who, who find themselves in similar situations, right? The Israelites lost some battles. It's in here. Wives lost their husbands, and they, and they were widowed. 
was in here. People ended up in prison. People ended up beaten and tortured. It's in here. Uh, Bad things have happened to godly people throughout history. Bad things are going to happen to godly people these days. But what's inside of you will always come out in your most desperate moments. When you hit the bottom, what's in you comes out. So what do you do when you're at the bottom? Who or what do you run to when the pressure gets too much to take? Job doesn't deny the loss, doesn't deny the grief. Grief and God are not opposing forces. And what we see in Job is he goes to worship. He tears his robe, shaves his head, and it says he falls down to the ground to worship. He doesn't run from God. He runs to God in his time of desperate, desperate need. And you might think, well, this is an Old Testament thing and Job's story is Old Testament, but we read it all through the New Testimony, uh, New Testament. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. At the bottom, we worship. When everything's falling apart, we worship. We don't run from God, we run to God. So Arlen, if you can just put that final list up there. This is what we see in Job chapter 1. Now, the great theologians in the room... That would have been bad if I had said theologians. And then you're like, oh, man, I seem even less smart than I was trying to. Uh, If you're a great theologian, you might be disappointed in the lack of uh, ground that we covered in the deep questions of Job. But don't you think if we look at Job's example here that I feel like you could have between one or six of those things that God looks at your life and goes, perhaps we could work on this area. So in a second, I want to just pray for people who have needs, and specifically for the month of August, we're going to pray for healing every single week. And we're going to believe for God to break through. And it seems like we should just huddle down into suffering as we look at Job. But Job is not a book that lacks faith or lacks hope. So we're going to pray. But for you right now, just take take 20 seconds and have a look at this list and just go, God, okay, what are you pointing in to in me? That you'd say, hey, maybe this area, you could use some integrity 
maybe you've let too many things slide with your kids and you need to take that ownership for the responsibility in your home. Maybe you've gotten a little bit self-focused and a little selfish and you've lost sight of what it means to be great. Just take 15, 20 seconds and go, God, what do you want me to do? We're going to take a moment. We're going to pray together. So God, I thank you for this book in the Bible. And God, I thank you for this example that Job sets for us. Father, I pray that we grow uh, this week and this month, that we would become men and women of God. That God, even as Job looks uh, shockingly like Jesus, that God, we would look in the same way, shockingly like Jesus. And God, you do the work on the inside of us to shift things that need to be shifted, that cause us to grow strong in who you are. So Father, help us this week to take what you've shown us in your word today and not just hear it, enjoy it, consume it, but God, make it a part of our lives to grow one step more like Jesus this week. I pray this in your name. Amen. So listen, what we'll do if you got a need and specifically physical, we're going to...